Darren, we have a correction to make, don't we? We do have a correction to make. When we did the Creep Show episode, <laughs> if you can think back, I think it's a few months ago now. Actually, do you remember Benny Hill? Yes, of course I remember Benny you Hill. You remember Benny Hill? You remember that character that he did with the big ginger hair and the um, he used to pat the guy on the head and all that kind of stuff? Of course, yeah. Do you remember his name? Uh, no. It was a guy called Ginger Tompkins. He thought he was really clever, and every so often he'd sort of wiggle his head and his, yes. his big hair would go from side to side. Well, um, a good friend of mine had a Ginger Tompkins moment the other day, and, and he's been listening to the podcast, and he came to me and he said, I must correct you on something. And it was when we were talking about anthologies on the Creep Show episode, and he said to me that... Um, I think we mentioned, like, From Beyond the Grave and Tales from the Crypt and, and mm-hmm. things like that. He said it actually wasn't Hammer who made those films. It was actually Amicus. So we always like to correct ourselves on these shows, and so I just thought I would put that one right. So thanks to Ginger Tompkins for um, getting in touch with us and pointing that out. It's, uh, it's much appreciated. We, we stand corrected. This is Frank Riker. And this is Darren Sands. And this is the Slaughter Lamb Podcast. This is episode three of Cool Cruel Summers, the year 1982. And before we start, let's discuss some of the key moments that uh, Darren has put up for us. This is the first time that USA Today is being published. Um, Another happy note, seven people died while ingesting Tylenol laced with cyanide. You know, uh, cats... Opens up on Broadway. How horrible. Uh, Ozzy Osbourne commits animal cruelty by biting a head off a bat. And uh, Saturday Night Live uh, commits a child labor law fraud by having Drew Barrymore, age seven, host. So I did write to you during the week and say, look, if you have any key moments you want adding, then by all means, add them in. What do you do? You just take the piss out of the ones I've done. <laughs> Because you can always find negative. Look, I mean, Drew Barrymore, age seven, you know, with, with Lord Michaels around there saying he didn't do it right. Uh, and Ozzy Osbourne biting the head off a bat, which has become the, what? Uh, rock and roll legend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, let's let's forgive Cats, the Broadway show. It's been, it was on Broadway for what, 30 something years, I think? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, and it gave us the movie. So it we did. can thank, you know, the Broadway show for that. But let's get into why we're really here. Let's talk about our first movie being released on May 14th, Conan the Barbarian. Warrior. Thief. Conqueror. King. Conan. Give us what we desire. Conan the Barbarian. Starts Friday at a theater near you. Conan, I have a confession to make, Frank. I um, I never actually saw this film from beginning to end before. I'd always seen like the first hour and then got distracted or seen the second hour and I've probably seen the middle section of the film about 15 times. I, I sat down the other day and I watched it from beginning to end 
really enjoyed it. I must admit, it was it was great fun. I do. I want to bring something up. I want to bring up. Um, this is kind of a little bit out of scope of what we're doing, but on I think it was April twenty three, a movie came out called The Sword and the Sorcerer, mm-hmm. um, which is really similar to, to to Conan in a lot of ways. You know, a, a kid who's orphaned and and then you know over a period of years sets out to find the people who killed his parents. And but I I actually think The Sword and the Sorcerer is a much more kind of exciting and uh, it has more of an epic feel than Conan the Barbarian I don't know how you, have you seen the Sword and the Sorcerer yeah yeah I have you prefer Conan <laughs> okay fuck you <laughs> <laughs> the, ladies and gentlemen this is the last episode for 1992 <laughs> that we'll be doing on the Slaughter Lamb uh, but yeah I actually I think you've known this before you watched this this was the movie that delayed the start of Terminator because yeah. he was because Arnold was still filming this. And they had to rework some of his costumes and some of the swords in this movie because he was just too big. His muscles yeah, yeah. were too big. He had to cut down on exercising. And uh, are you aware of the um, of the comic book, though, and what this is oh, based yeah, on? Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. So the, Conan had to look that big. You know, yeah, he, was, he yeah. was huge. But you can tell when he's doing some of the kind of sword juggling and all that kind of stuff around his head and then passing it around his back he can barely reach behind his back to pass the sword to his other hand you know as Arnie was so big then he probably couldn't even scratch his ass <laughs> and he suffered some, he suffered some injuries because he did his own stunts I was reading about that yeah he, but no I, I did really enjoy it and it was also really cool to see James Earl Jones do a, um, a role like that there's a nasty old role that he played in that film. Yeah, you know you know who was actually considered for that role before Arnold? I don't know. Not Jim, not uh, James Belushi, you know, because he seems to be <laughs> the guy who does everything. Um, Charles Bronson. What? Slice the load. Thulsa. Is this for a, a Conan or? Yeah, for Conan. Oh, oh, yeah, sorry. I thought, you for, for, I thought you meant for James Earl Jones's role. No, no, for Conan. <laughs> okay, go on. Charles Bronson. Again, Sly, Sly, Sly Stallone, right, and William Smith. I don't even know who William. the fuck William Smith is. <laughs> I've never heard of him. What was he? Uh, like? A bodybuilder or something? Probably, probably. But there are bodybuilders in this one. You know, he's got some of his bodybuilding. Uh, you know, Franco Colombo was the the scout in the beginning. That was mm. uh, that was one of his bodybuilding friends. Um, each sword on this movie cost ten thousand dollars to make. But we have to also mention this is a Dino picture, so you know there's got to be some Italians and English uh, being mixed in there, and no one knew what the hell was going on. Anytime there's Dino production, forget it. You can't understand what's happening. It it was interesting that I read that um, that the first trailer for the movie went out on, on copies of Flash Gordon in December 1980. A full 18 months before the actual release of this film on May 14th, 82. Huge production, yeah? Lengthy production. Yeah. Do you, do you know um, uh, Arnold and Sandra? They only had two words. Sandal. What's that? The girl that played Berg- Valeria. Yeah. Sandra? Is that her name? Sandal. Bergman. Whatever. It's going to be Sandra because that's the only name okay, I can well, pronounce. Let's, okay, let's call her Sandra then. <laughs> Mrs. Bergman. <laughs> They only said two words between each other throughout the whole fucking movie. You know, are yeah, you a guard? They're... No. That's it. And then they wind up fucking, you know, after they got the <laughs> rules. And they don't really say 
words together back and forth. Well, she kind of says kiss me when she's dying, doesn't she? And he does, and but yeah. he doesn't say anything. No, he, no, he doesn't say like pocket it up <laughs> or anything <laughs> like that. It's it's. I actually like this movie. I think it's better than Conan the Destroyer, and I actually think it's better than the remake. If you have you ever seen the remake with uh, Aquaman? Yeah, that was the that was the guy that um, directed the Texas Chainsaw on Friday the Thirteenth reboots, wasn't it? That did the Conan reboot. Marcus right. Nispel, I think his name is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I haven't yeah. seen it, but um, I probably wouldn't have done given I haven't seen I hadn't seen the the original in its entirety. I feel embarrassed like about this. What lot oh, more nudity there? in the remake? <laughs> they're just women, you know, just no bras on, you know, just <laughs> just bare breasted, and they're just talking like you know you and I would have a conversation about the weather. But you know, one thing I found that was actually is that is, are you saying that's a good thing, or were you saying you were you were put off by that, or oh, I loved it. okay just checking just checking the one thing i discovered too about this movie which i thought was weird was that arnold did it ozzy osbourne he actually bit the neck part of an actual dead vulture yeah it was that yeah that's the scene that always stands out so because i've seen either the first half or the second half that's kind of about halfway through that's the tree of woe isn't it Yes, and he's kind of like being crucified, crucified. there, yeah, and yeah. and and this buzzard's kind of like trying to peck his face, and he kind of bites its neck, and the thing drops to the floor. But so they used a real dead buzzard, yeah, for that sequence, real, yeah. And wow. once he bit it, they had to wash his mouth out with like antiseptic and stuff, where he didn't get any disease. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll start moving on with a budget of. 20 million box office of nearly you know we'll just say over 79 million and a 64 percent uh, rating on rotten tomato i think conan was actually pretty cool for the summer it was cool and it must have been a cool time filming it because just one further point that i discovered was that um some of the locations were so cold that they in order to stop the fake blood that they were using from freezing they had to put vodka in it uh, <laughs> and, and so a lot of the cast there that were having, uh, you know, that were that were involved in sequences where the, whether they were either spitting out blood or had blood on their face were drinking the fake blood, and then going round to the effects guy and asking for more, saying, "Oh, I've run out. I need more." Just because they had this vodka in it, something's got to keep me warm around here. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're moving away now from. Uh swords and sandals and we're going now to shorts and boxing gloves may 28th rocky three now when we fought you had that eye of the tiger man the edge and now you got to get it back and the way to get it back is to go back to the beginning you know what i mean united artists and chartoff winkler proudly present rocky three The worst thing happened to you that could happen to any fighter. You got civilized. Get out of here with you! The truth is we both started out on the same corner and I got lucky with my life and it's driving you nuts. Philadelphia salutes its favorite son, Rocky Balboa. Why don't you tell all these nice folks why you've been ducking me? This guy is a wrecking machine. You know, you've got a big mouth. Why don't you come out and close it, Balboa? Come on. I want to fight this guy. You fight him without me. Balboa was a fine champion, but his time has passed. See that look in their eyes, Rock? Gotta get that look back, Rock. 
I had the tiger, come on. I will destroy any man who tries to take what I got. I'm gonna torture him. I'm gonna crucify him real bad. For the first time in my life, I'm afraid. Damn, Lord, come on! There's nothing wrong with being afraid. You thought I was tough? This job will kill you. You wake up after a few years thinking you're a winner, but you're not. There is no tomorrow. You're really a loser. Well, I don't believe it. There is no tomorrow. Rocky's greatest challenge to save his honor, his marriage, and his manhood against his most devastating and dangerous opponent. Bust you up. Go for it. Sylvester Stallone, Talia Shire, Burgess Meredith, Carl Weathers, Burt Young, and introducing Mr. T. Rocky III, an American tradition. Now, Darren, Rocky Three is probably my favorite, besides, of course, Part Four. But I think Rocky Three is actually more entertaining. I think it's probably the most entertaining of the of the um, of the four, five, six, seven. How many movies have they done now? I can't remember. It's you can't read Rocky Five Thousand. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, what was that? Was that an airplane gag, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> remember, remember seeing... Okay, excuse us for a minute here, folks. we got to talk airplane for a quick second. <laughs> the poster back had, like, Rocky, like, 60 or something. And it was just this old man whose gloves are heavier than his shoulders can handle. <laughs> <laughs> his big, long beard. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. Rocky Three is probably the more um, entertaining of the of the. Uh, let's say the five Rocky movies, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you know, there's a, a number of reasons for that. One was it was the first time any of us really had seen this guy, Mister T, before, or um, Clubber Lang, as he's um, uh, as he's known as in the film. He had a hard time finding somebody to play that role, didn't he? Because he he initially went after a boxer called Ernie Shavers, uh, and they they had a few trial uh, bouts, didn't they? And he was absolutely kicking the shit out of Stone. <laughs> and so he had, to, I think, he, he had a professional car- boxer really beat up Slice the load. Yeah. So so they so they he kind of said no to that, and then he'd noticed this guy who was a doorman. Mr. Bodyguard. T was a, a bodyguard, wasn't he? That was it. And he'd seen him on TV throwing little people around. Uh, let's just leave it at that. And was impressed uh, and and reached out to him. And uh, yeah, they, they, they created that character, um, Clubber Lang. Um, he would go to move on to be what? Like an 80s icon, right, Mr. T? Yeah. Have, oh, I God, mean, yeah, yeah. you've you've actually hit the top of prime time when you actually have your own cereal. He had his own cereal. Mr. T you, had his you own mean cereal. A, a TV show or a no, or a no an actual bre- breakfast. breakfast cereal. Yeah, yeah, Mr. What, T cereal. What was it? It's like it was. It was actually like tastes like Captain Crunch. Okay, uh, I don't know what that is either, but <laughs> sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have to remind you that Darren's not American. <laughs> so they don't get corn. sugary they don't get sugary uh puffy cereal over there for <laughs> breakfast they get nanny's home marmalade on toast gruel, <laughs> gruel. <laughs> porridge 
<laughs> so but this is also the first time we we're actually seeing also another cultural icon hulk hogan yeah and it was a kind of uh, it was a bit of a, a, a schlep to try and get him on board as well because every time we reached out to him he thought he was somebody taking the piss yeah um, and when he did actually show up uh vince mcmahon who was in charge of the world wrestling federation senior not Junior, the one that's in charge now, fired him for taking the movie role. And in, he was the actual, his character's name is Thunderlips, which which would you think would be the title of some R, uh, some X-rated movies. Uh, <laughs> and I've seen some He's of them. He's pretty cool in that. Uh, but after that movie, Vince McMahon Jr. hired Hulk Hogan back and told his father, what the hell are you doing? This guy's going to be a huge star. We can't afford to uh, lose him to someone else. But did you know that the Eye of the Tiger uh, theme song that we hear in the beginning by uh, Survivor, that wasn't supposed to be the actual song for that movie? That's right. Well, the, the Eye of the Tiger was rejected from another film. So initially, the Eye of the Tiger was supposed to be uh, the theme song to Flashdance. Yes. And... Uh, uh, <laughs> and you're the best by Joe Esposito was supposed to be the theme song to to Rocky Three, but Stallone hated the You're the Best track. I don't know why. It's fantastic, is that tune? But never mind. Um, that ended up in Karate Kid, and we ended up with um, the rejected Flashdance song, The Eye of the Tiger. Could you imagine Stallone working out to Maniac? <laughs> Do you think the training montage would have been different? It would have been somewhat different, wouldn't it? Would it yeah. be like him spinning around, hitting things, and, and <laughs> Mickey throwing glitter? Adam? <laughs> or Apollo oiling him up or something like that? <laughs> In those crop tops. Oh, yeah. oh. Yeah. But this is also the first time we actually see another character for the first time. And I'm going to call it a character because it actually is. It's the Rocky statue. Yeah. That's still there, I believe, isn't it? In yeah. They moved it a couple times. Uh, but it's actually appeared in different movies. It's at the beginning of uh, Philadelphia with Tom Hanks. It's also in Trading Places. You, know, you see it there as well. It's almost like a, a staple. If you... if. You don't need the Liberty Bell or, you know, the, the halls that are there. If you see the Rocky statue, I think a lot of people do understand that you're in Philadelphia. It's almost like um, in order to let you know that we've moved over to the UK, you see a red bus or, um, you Big know, ben. someone in a, yeah, someone in a bowler hat or I don't know, something like London Bridge. <laughs> London Bridge, Big Ben, Parliament, whatever. Um, but um, yeah, it's 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 iconic now, isn't it? The statue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, but it was also in one of the greatest horror movies of all time, Mannequin. Uh, so, <laughs> with <laughs> with a budget of seventeen million, taking home a very impressive two hundred and seventy million, a sixty three percent Rotten Score tomato. I think Rocky had a cool summer. Rocky three. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's it's definitely up there as one of the best of that franchise. And um, I had a lot of fun with it as a kid. I never actually saw it in the cinema, I don't believe. But I did see it on a bootleg video, which I'm not proud of. We'll, we'll, we'll forgive you. Uh, but that wasn't the only movie that was released that day, was it? No. A little Canadian horror film called Visiting Hours was released as well. When was the last time you sat in a movie theater and felt the cold fingers of fear creeping up your back. 20th Century Fox presents a movie so intense, so frightening, you may never recover. 
Visiting Hours, starring Lee Grant, William Shatner, Linda Pearl. Rated R. Darren, have you, when's the first time you saw Visiting Hours? Because, you know, I really never knew about it until maybe like two years ago. Yeah, it's, it's only recently that I've seen it, and it was just our friend uh, Jason Nike. He's pretty obsessed with the film and, and convinced me to watch it. And I think, did you buy me it? I think you did. I think so. And um, yeah, it's okay. I don't call it a slasher film. It's more of a thriller. I have problems with with knowing who the slasher is. In some ways, it's it's really ahead of its time. With some of the themes that it discusses, it's a it's a, a TV talk show host, and he doesn't take kindly to some of the issues that she discusses on the TV show, and mm-hmm. so he he um, hunts her down, he attacks her the one time, and then the, he continues to stalk her throughout the film. We've got Lee Grant in this movie. We've also got William Shatner, who's in a really odd role playing um, playing her boyfriend, mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. who doesn't really do much. He just kind of pops in and out every so often. I don't know whether he was just kind of. He was backwards and forwards from the Wrath of Khan set or, or what? I've no idea, but um, it's just a really odd role for him, whereas he just... I, I've no idea why he took it. Money, dear boy. But we've talked about this movie quite a bit before, and so, you know, it, it went up against Rocky. It had a, a, a $6 million budget, uh, $13.3 million box office, and a Rotten Tomatoes score of 14% which isn't too good at all. It was quite a, quite a, a brave slasher film for the time, but, you know, it plays out more like a thriller to me than it does an, act, uh, an actual slasher. I think it was actually ahead of its time. If this came out now, I think it'd be well-received. It is what it is, but, you know, moving on, June 4th, our next, uh, well, next big movie, uh, is uh, Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist. Really? Steven Spielberg's? <laughs> Steven Spielberg's Poltergeist. Toby Hooper's Poltergeist. Well, we could argue about who's really doing... <laughs> We've had this discussion before, and you brought it up the first time where you said you think that Steven Spielberg had more hand directing in it than Toby did. I do. I do. do you know what? I was, uh, and let's listen to the trailer first. Yes. <laughs> Don't adjust the television set. Your reception's fine. But in their new suburban home, the Freeling family has tuned into something beyond our world. Poltergeist. You'll never look at your television set the same way again. Poltergeist, a Steven Spielberg production, rated PG. Now playing at a theater near you, check newspapers. So so what really gets me about this film is that everything about it um, smacks of Spielberg. The way that it looks, uh, the way that it sounds, the setting, that kind of um, Los Angeles suburban setting. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people you've had cast members that have come out over the years and said that, um, oh, yeah, Spielberg was there all the time. And, and now we know, we know that E.T. was shooting at a similar sort of period of time that, that Poltergeist was shooting. And apparently, um, as I've looked into this, you weren't allowed to be directing two movies at any one time back in 1982 or 81, whenever it was shot. But yet there are so many set photos of Spielberg on set. There are also so many set photos of Spielberg with both sets of cast members. 
So you have um, pictures of Spielberg with Drew, Drew Barrymore and, and Heather O'Rourke. Um, you have pictures of, of Spielberg with um, the, the older kids or, or um, uh, Dee Wallace and uh, Craig T. Nelson and things like that. So although it wasn't the same neighborhood, I think there were two slightly different neighborhoods in, L- in L.A., they were very close because the you mm-hmm. can tell by the, the horizon views that, you know, it's, it's in that Not kind up. of... Yeah, yeah, it's it's in the same location or a similar location. I don't want to take it. I mean, there are bits of the movie that you can say uh, feel more like Toby Hooper than than, than Spielberg, um, particularly the, the face peeling, the face peeling, and also the bit where the meat on the table starts to kind of go bad Ooh, and, and yeah. turn inside out and all that kind of stuff. But we talked before about the fact that. Um, now, what movie was it that you were saying was stolen from a Twilight Zone episode or an Outer Limits episode? But I know where you're going with this. Apparently, there is a Twilight Zone episode entitled The Little Girl Lost Yeah, that uh, the writer Richard Matheson said was stolen from him to do Poltergeist. Yeah, and when you look at that episode and or read about it, it, it sounds incredibly similar about this this girl who's kind of taken to another dimension and um, her, fa- her parents have to call in paranormal people to try and tr- try and get her back. Mm-hmm. Um, and even some of the stills from the Twilight Zone episode look incredibly similar. You know, the, the age of the girl that they're, they're dealing with um, and the settings, uh, etc., are very, very similar to Poltergeist. The dog had they- to go in and actually get the girl. Oh, really? In the uh, Twilight Zone episode. The, the dog went in. Grabbed the girl. She the dog. The girl followed the dog out the right, actual wall right. where the portal was. Kind of similar with the you know kind of like parents going in, but instead yeah. of that, you know, no big fucking skull head comes out and tries to scare you to fucking death. <laughs> you know, this it's, it, I could see similarities, but apparently uh, Richard Matheson didn't have uh, the best of lawyers, <laughs> and maybe Steelberg had too much money. Probably, yeah. I don't know whether some sort of deal was done on the side to kind of keep everybody happy on this, but yeah, it's it's a strange coincidence, pretty much the same as that Terminator um, Outer Limits episode. Whether Toby Hooper did or didn't direct this movie, um, it's still a fantastic film. Uh, the, uh, Jerry Goldsmith's score is is terrific as well. I don't, you know, throughout the whole movie, it's just it's a, it's a it's a real force, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, but with a budget of you know 10.7 million and a box office of 121.7 million, 86 percent, really high, 86 percent for Poltergeist. I think this run is also cool. Absolutely, and 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 what a date to release the film as well, June the fourth, the exact same day as this sci-fi sequel. Beyond the darkness. Beyond the human evolution is Khan, a genetically superior tyrant, exiled to a barren planet, banished by a starship commander he is destined to destroy. Left for dead, he has survived. I'll chase him round the moons of Nibia and round the under. Taris, Maelstrom, and round Perdition's flames before I give him up. There she is. There she is. Fire! 
Dolphin, Captain. Can you evade their power? A few shots, sir. Not enough against their shields. The base is stubborn. Scotty, I need warp speed in three minutes or we're all dead. I've done far worse than kill you. I've hurt you. And I wish to go on hurting you. I shall leave you as you left me. Marooned for all eternity. Buried alive. Buried alive. Sean! Sean! At the end of the universe lies the beginning of vengeance. Star Trek II. The Wrath of Khan. Now, Darren, are you a Star Trek fan? Are you a Trek? No. 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 Well, you prefer Star Wars over Star Trek. I do. I, I, you know, it's just, it's it's an age thing. I think that um, the the whole Star Trek TV series I was never a fan of. um, And I, you know, I always saw Star Trek when it, when it was, when they brought everybody back together to do those films as a kind of poor man's Star Wars now that sounds really unfair, but having said that, there are certain. I've, I've seen pretty much all of them. I think I've seen all of them, in fact. There are certain entries within this franchise that I, I do really enjoy. The first Star Trek film, I was so bored with. My yeah, dad took me to the. It was terrible. Yeah, my dad took me to the cinema to see it in in the late seventies, and I was just bored to tears with it. I was so disappointed. But Wrath of Khan, you know, I think it's a terrific film. It jumped right right from the first one. It became actually not many there's not many movies out there, not too many series or franchises where the second one actually becomes better than the first. No, I mean, not it, really. You could probably get like Godfather maybe be the, ex- the exception. This one, you know, it, it had Ricardo Montalban, you know, in it. <laughs> and that awesome chest he has. Everyone thought that was a prosthetic chest. No, that's that man's actual chest. You know, he's got this physique on him, and he's surrounded by Chippendale dancers. Yeah, they were. I learned that today that all, all his bloody strongmen around him were all Chippendale dancers. Ricardo, are you one... telling us something? <laughs> <laughs> there's one scene towards the end, I think it's after Ricardo's got mashed up, and he's kind of lying there with all his face uh, covered in blood and everything. He's, he's all his hairs matted in it. And he's just surrounded by dead strippers, <laughs> <laughs> and not in the trunk of their of their spaceship. <laughs> yeah. and, but you're right. By I think it's be- the reason why this is so much better than the first one. I think it's because Gene Roddenberry wasn't involved. Because the studio said, "Listen, the first one was such shit. No one fucking liked it. Gene, you're going to stay away from this." Yeah. And yeah. Gene was kind of like, "No, this is my baby. I created this." Yeah, but you know what? Guess what? We're making it. <laughs> and and he, they put him down as an executive consultant. So he still got paid for it, I would, I would assume, right? The creative oh, rights and everything. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's actually, a, isn't it actually a sequel? I, mean, I haven't seen the TV episode. I do know that that uh, Ricardo Mo, Mo, Montalban, is it? Ricardo Montalban? Say it, you got to say it in his accent, and then it sounds right. Ricardo Montalban. Yeah, that. Um, <laughs> he he was actually in the original um, he was. Uh, Star Trek episode, wasn't he? Which was called Space Seed uh, from 1967. 
But there are so many moments within Wrath of, Wrath of Khan where I just think it, they brought the cool back into Star Trek, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly Kirk's entrance. You know, you get that, that simulated kind of Klingon attack at the at the start of the movie where they're kind of doing like a training exercise. And you think that because Kirstie Alley is commanding the Enterprise, you think that that's it, that Shatner's no longer doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of a sudden the doors open and there's all that dry ice uh, and 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 Shatner and his new toop walk through the door, uh, and he, the dry ice makes it rise a little bit. I don't know if you noticed. It's, it's kind of really sort of gets it out. It's 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 <laughs> lifting. It's he's, he's, he's he looks like Smokey Robinson as he walks through the door there. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, you know that that's a great sequence. And also, you know, who can you know you 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 can't not forget the emotion in those final scenes when when Spock. Um, you know, fights to 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 save the the Enterprise and and uh, gets ends up with radioactive poisoning, um, which was going to be filmed at the beginning. Oh, really? They're actually, going to show it, and they got Leonard Nimoy didn't really want to be Spock again. He's like, no, I'm, I'm just. And then the executives came back and say, listen, you will have one of the greatest deaths in motion picture history, which I yeah. think is absolutely true. Yeah, you know, it's him, terrific. Him telling him, you know, I will and always, I will always be your friend. I am and always yeah. will be your friend. And I think actually, uh, now, you know, I'm not. I'm going to include the third one here, real quick. Um, I think Captain Kirk cried more over Spock than in the death of his own son. Quite possibly. I, Quite possibly. I, I, but what's really incredible about that sequence, you know, when they're both either side of those those glass doors. Is that you know Spock's supposed to be this person that's just kind of null of any emotion, mm-hmm. and he's always half really, human. Yeah, yeah, and he doesn't really show any emotion in that scene. He just struggles to say what he wants to say. But yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. Is that sequence? You know, mm-hmm. and they, he puts the Vulcan sign on the on on the glass, and then Kirk raises his hand as well, and you can see how devastated he is. Uh, and then we have to go through the whole funeral, and then there's that just that one glimmer of hope at the end. When we're going through the um, the forest and and you see exactly where um, the coffin has landed, mm-hmm. uh, and then the credits hit, uh, I think it's just a terrific film. You know, it's not it's not an action packed movie, but it's just so well um, written and performed and and it's a revenge you know, movie, right? It's yeah, exactly. Movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. The, all the books that were, that uh, Khan was reading too, which I think. And if you give you know Trekkies uh, uh, a ranking, I think at least top three is Khan is probably their greatest enemy of all time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even in uh, in, it was in Search of Darkness, the uh, the second uh, Star Trek movie that came out a few years ago. I mean, yeah. Benedict did a great. Uh, he plays a great villain. When at the end, when they're they're having the military funeral. Kurt, you know, just breaks down just that little bit. And he says that Spock was more human than any other person he's ever met. Yeah, no, Spock would have said that that's an insult. (laughs) (laughs) They, they They do. I mean, there's the one thing that you notice in this film is that that bless them. They're all kind of starting to get on a little bit because it's got sort of 15 years after the TV show. Um, They've kind of changed their um, their their outfits as well. So they're more Mm -hmm. kind of. They're not those sort of lycra skin tight tops that they would wear in the in the TV show. They're kind of more sort of 
uh, sturdier material that's kind of holding all their guts in and <laughs> built-in girdles, <laughs> basically. Yeah, but you know, uh, Wrath of Khan on a twelve million dollar budget, ninety-six million, eighty-seven percent, which I think is their highest movie to date of the original cast. I think, you know, this brought back Star Trek to being cool. And um, I'm sorry, everybody who's listening. I'm more of a Star Trek fan than I am a Star Wars fan. Wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Star Trek's more believable. Okay, the, the one thing that is really interesting, though, is that, that even though this movie took less than um, the original, than the Star Trek, the motion picture, it made more money. Because the budget was a fraction of the of the last Star Trek movie, and they were able to kind of reuse a lot of the sets as well, which really helped. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a it was a it was a good success, a really good success, especially coming out, you know, sort of on the same day as Poltergeist and a week after Rocky Three. Um, it's, a, it's it was a busy old summer, and it was about to get busier because on June 11, this happened. In 1975, he directed Jaws. In 1978, he directed Close Encounters of the Third Kind. In 1981, he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. And now, Steven Spielberg brings us E.T., the Extraterrestrial. We will witness the arrival, the search, the desertion, the fear, the discovery, the friendship. I'm keeping him. The secret, the love, the warning, the signal, the mystery. The danger. The intrusion. The wonderment. The enchantment. The hope. The connection has been made. Universal Pictures presents Steven Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. Let's just let's just talk about the the budget first. Ten and a half million. Ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Who didn't like it? Box office. Now you're ready to be floored. This is an investment. A box office of nearly eight hundred million dollars. Forty years ago. Forty years ago. <laughs> now when we when we talk about this movie, now of course with the price of inflation and everything like that, I think this movie is still in the top ten, if I'm not wrong, of uh, highest grossing box office of all time. Maybe I think, Quite I think possibly. still. And of course, we're talking about my first movie that I ever saw in this in the cinema, and a sad movie, but also a, a fond um, movie for children and, and all the kids and all of us, and that is E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Steven Spielberg's. E.T., the extraterrestrial. 
I, w- I wonder if Toby hopped over and, and, and helped out on this, like Spielberg, you know. <laughs> they shared the same cake for the wrap-up, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> Darren, your your memories. Do you have fond memories of seeing Oh, uh, I do. And, and, you know, I unfortunately, another film that I didn't see at the cinema when it first came out, everybody was talking about it, and I, I, I wanted to see it. And I was also, at that age, 9, 10, sort of dabbling in 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 more adult films as well you know horror and and action pictures things like that you needed a um yeah yeah um and so i you know my dad managed to as a lot of people did um and that particularly a vhs was just hitting and we borrowed a vhs for the weekend and whether it was legit or not i've no idea i suspect not we ended up with watching et on it uh and Amazing, you know. I I can I still remember that moment when you think he's dead and how devastating it is uh, with him laying out there in the in in the cold at night uh, and and that elation that you get when when you figure that he's got this kind of second wind, if you like, and he you know he's able to sort of come back to life. Um, so, so many. Uh, it's just a roller coaster of emotions from beginning to end, and I actually think there's some really quite unsettling and eerie moments in it. Um, mm-hmm. And that a lot of that is down to um, uh, John Williams as well. Um, my friend Ginger Tompkins is going to be laughing at me at this moment for talking about the score because it's somebody that he's really fond of. Um, the, at the start, there's something really unsettling about the opening piece, I find, when E.T. first arrives, and you get the guys searching for him, um, and obviously it's Peter Coyote and, uh, and and others. Peter Coyote's called Keys because for the first half of the movie, that's all you see of him, is just the keys hanging on his, mm-hmm. on, on his belt. Yeah, really unsettling opening. And also another really unsettling moment as well is is kind of about two-thirds of the way through the movie. It's an incredible shot. And it's the one where as the government take over the house and you get that shot on the horizon of the... I can't remember whether it's dawn or dusk, uh, and the heat coming off the ground. And then all of a sudden, really slowly, you get these kind of government agents, these scientists start to appear on the horizon in these kind of... Uh, hazmat suits and the score that goes Scared along the living with it, shit out yeah of it's like because the great thing about it is they don't show you their faces at all no, no. it's almost like they're spacemen themselves coming for a for a usurp movie in the uk which is the lowest rating that you can get i found, find some of it really unsettling but i think the the high points of this movie completely balance it out if not mm-hmm. just supersede all those um unsettling moments and and it's just a a movie that's timeless that you can you can show to anybody at any time and they're going to be interested and fall in love with it i don't know who those two percent of people that uh that, that gave it bad reviews on rotten tomatoes are because jesus what were they watching the 2% were the people who don't believe in aliens. Probably. Uh, Spielberg filmed it at the level of a child. Yes. And the only the only adult face we see from the beginning half leading up to the second half is Dee Wallace. Yeah. Is the mom. Of course, you know, Stephen likes to film, you know, families in chaos, you know, with no uh, parents that are together or something like that, you know. Uh, but I, I actually found out how Henry Thomas actually got this role. 
is by making Steven Spielberg cry. And he thought about his dog dying and used that to produce his own tears and said the lines, which made Steven Spielberg just gush along with him and hired him right there on the spot. Those audition tapes are, are fantastic because what was he, seven, eight years old or something like that? Yeah, yeah. But to get that performance out of him and also Drew Barrymore as well. Well, Steven had to uh, yell at her. Uh, he yelled at Drew Barrymore, seven-year-old Drew Barrymore, to the point where she just broke down. But he later found out she was she was working with a high fever and ultimately apologized to her and sent her home. And yeah. and uh, agreed to be her godfather. But, you know, the, the uh, when they're performing, when, when they get when they capture E.T., you know, everything is gut wrenched. You know, you're just like, oh, fuck, they found E.T. That's a real medical staff that's actually doing you know, performing either surgery or trying to bring him back oh, the, to life. CPR. Yeah, they're, they're really uh-huh. doing that. You know, do you know who operated E.T.? What is, Did, wasn't it like a, there was there was a few people? There was some it was a small people. people. There, was, there was one guy who didn't have any legs or something. That was, that was a child. A child born with no legs was actually used. Uh, wow. E.T.'s voice is actually a guy, uh, his name is, uh, is Pat Welsh. It's uh, a lady. Okay. It- <laughs> It is. It's a, because for years there was rumors that the voice was done by um, Deborah Winger. <laughs> Seriously, there were everybody. Oh yeah, it was Deborah Winger that did the voice for ET. Uh, she was the voice of ET in a rough cut of ET. Apparently, a rough cut, not the official yeah. cut. Not the official cut. No, but, but that's where the rumor came about that she was the voice. But no, the actual person who did the voice was a lady called. Patricia Anderson Welsh. Who smoked um, two packs a day. Is that all? <laughs> she smoked two packs a day, you know, and she's not the only one who actually did voice, you know, E.T. There was actually a raccoon, a sea otter, some horses, you know. Really? It, seriously, you know, <laughs> where, he, where he does that little scream and everything like that when they first meet. Uh, that kind of yeah, that's actually a sea otter that's actually oh, really? doing that in distress. How do you feel about now? I know you're particular about this stuff, but I'm going to ask you, and I, we're going to let the listening audience know what Darren Sand thinks about remastering cuts of movies and taking guns out and putting hands with the, the agents' hands with walkie talkies. Just yeah, to... I didn't like that at all. I didn't. I didn't. Do you know what I mean? It's. It's. Look, I don't mind it if they. We still have the original cut available, which is fine. I don't yeah. mind if they want to do that. Then fine. But look, like with Star Wars, when they took the original cuts away and fired around with it for the three movies or whatever, I, I don't like that at all. I didn't like what they did with it at all. Um, and ET as well. Yeah, they added in some additional scenes and. Again, a bit like the Jabba scene in, in, in A New Hope. It just, after time, it just doesn't look up to scratch at all. It didn't look it didn't look right. And the scene where, I think, do they bath him or something like that? In, yeah. In, yeah. Nah, nah. Yeah. Just leave us with the guns. And, and I think it was at like a kind of, didn't they release it sort of about a year after 9-11 or something? Columbine. They wanted to, was it Columbine? Right, yeah, okay. The, yeah. It was they just wanted to reduce that element of threat, and so they switched the rifles to walkie-talkies at the moment when the bike shoot bullets. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
And I'm just like, why are you messing around with it? Why don't just leave it? It'll be interesting to see if they do anything because next year is the 40th anniversary, mm-hmm. isn't it? Yep. I, I um, Stephen, when he was doing uh, Ready Player One, and they talked about ET. And he said he drew inspiration from his friend George Lucas. He took inspiration from that, from New Hope. Yeah, um, yeah. And he said, you know, because he digitally did stuff to it. And a lot of people think New Hope is actually um, the, the digital remastering or the 30th anniversary or 35th anniversary of those movies is actually worse than, you know, the originals because of what mm. they added. Um, Steven now has, you know, expressed regret at even touching E.T. He was like, yeah, yeah, I shouldn't, yeah. Have, I shouldn't have done anything to it. Uh, and he shouldn't have. Well, for, and perhaps he'll put that right on the on the on the 40th anniversary and give us something, you know, uh, the original cut, but just cleaned up a bit and and you know remastered or something. Um, yeah, put a tag in there. That'd be nice. Yeah, <laughs> going, through yeah. <laughs> going through Elliot's home. Going through Elliot's home, looking for ET. <laughs> ET has a hat and helmet on. <laughs> Black Hawks trying to shoot down the spaceship. Yeah, let's do some of that. Go on. No, 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 not shooting down the spaceship. Shooting down the bike flying across the moon. <laughs> yeah. But you know, like we said with ET, it is it is one of the best movies of all time. Um, and the other thing I wanted to mention as well was the video game. Oh, um, <laughs> which um, I have played. Me too. Um, yeah. Uh, but not an not the uh, actual Atari system. It, it was just a emulator that I played it on, and is absolutely fucking dreadful. Um, but they rushed it, didn't they? I mean, the, the film uh-huh. came out in the in the June, and they had these guys trying to make it to bring out for Christmas, and the game was just dreadful, wasn't it? They managed to get it out for Christmas. The game was dreadful. They produced more copies than they could ever sell. And because of no one bought into it, or the, the reviews for it were terrible, and, and very few people bought it, ended up burying them in some hole in New Mexico somewhere, didn't they? Yeah. Well, the movie literally just... tens of thousands of them. ET just looked like a walking turd. You know, he, was just, <laughs> he plops down out of the sky from some anus. You know, and he just moves around, and he had to avoid, you know. Some some stick figured guy, some anorexic stick figure, <laughs> yeah. you know, and that's all he did was walk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then he would fall down into another fucking hole. You know, you're like, why the fuck? There's no fucking holes in, in the fucking movie. So why would you put ET falling down some kind of cave? And then you sit there and you got to find the flower and then you smoke it. You know, and that's how you would fly. You know, but yeah, it's a terrible video game. But yeah, you know, speaking of something terrible, we have our first cruel movie coming up. Unfortunately, because it's it's a cult, it's a cult classic, really, right now, right? It's it's an icon, probably one of the most important sci-fi movies ever made as well. Yeah, with uh, a great cast, right? Yeah, yeah. But you know, well, let's listen to the trailer. <laughs> Los Angeles, twenty nineteen. There was an escape from the off-world colonies. They slaughtered... 20- the assignment? Track down six manufactured humans. He's the best man for the job. But he may die trying to prove it. Harrison Ford is the Blade Runner. When did you first see Blade Runner, Frank? Oh, years after it came out. I'm thinking like maybe 95. 
know? And, and what, uh, were, what were your first impressions of it? I liked it. And you know hmm. who stole that movie? Rucker. He stole that. You know, and uh, it was a it was a good concept. I, I, I liked it. Harrison Ford was was great in it, but I felt it was kind of slow in some parts. I mean, how, how did you feel about hmm. it when you saw it? Well, I think I saw it. I think probably about ninety four or something like that. I think we rented it, and I was bored, really bored. It was a few years. God, I think I tried to watch it uh, maybe three or four times like every five years or something like that I'd watch it again and and then it's only with age that I've come to really appreciate it Uh, it's interesting a lot of people say that as well I think just purely because this was Han Solo this was uh, Indiana Jones and all of a sudden he's in this kind of sort of detective noir movie that's set in the future and it plays so slowly and I didn't have the intelligence or um, experience to appreciate what an amazing film it, it was then at 10, 11 years old. I probably still don't now. <laughs> Did you um, trying to be Star Wars with with uh, Harrison no, Ford? No, I, I, that wasn't what I took from it at all. I just, I think the big thing at the time was it's, it's the guy that made Alien and... Uh, and 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 it's Indiana Jones or Han Solo or whatever, and you're kind of programmed to uh, expect something that the movie just doesn't deliver at all. It's a completely different animal. But nowadays, I look at that film and I just think, wow, how ahead of its time was it mm-hmm. uh, in terms of you know just everything, the the story, the production design, the the acting as well, which is just terrific throughout. I can't remember what the version that I saw because I know that the test screenings that were done initially were done without any sort of narration at all, mm-hmm. and they were disastrous, weren't they? People just mm-hmm. didn't understand what was going on, and it, that's when they got Harrison Ford back in to kind of record all the narration. And how many cuts have there been? I think there's been like three, seven, seven. There's been seven, seven. cuts, seven altogether. Yeah, because you have U.S. cut, you have. Uh, you've got the final cut. You've got the director's um, cut, which is director's technically cut. a director's you've cut. You've got the theatrical cut. You've got. Uh, but I read today that there, are, in total, there have been seven cuts throughout the history of this film. Which but is the, terrible, isn't it? They can't decide on what the fuck to do. But you know, I think people are more kind of keen on the on the on the final cut now, aren't they, than than anything else. What's really interesting is it was the the relationship between Harrison Ford and Ridley Scott and how fractious it was on set. And it was all down to the the ambiguity, wasn't it, of whether or not Ford was a replicant. He wanted it to be clear that he was a human. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Ridley Scott kind of didn't agree with that. He wanted to leave the audience guessing. Now, it's interesting because, you know, it's, it's not until really Blade Runner 2049, the sequel, where you kind of get more of an insight into that. But, you know, such a shame that for a budget of 41 and a half million, 30 million at the box office, released it exactly the same day as... John Carpenter's The Thing, two weeks after E.T. and, and Ratha Khan and Poltergeist and Rocky Three, there was just no room for this movie in the summer of 1982 and such, such a shame that at the time it really just couldn't find its audience. No, it was, it was also cursed. The really? film set was cursed. Yeah. A lot of cursing film sets in this decade. <laughs> uh, and I'll tell you why a lot of people think it was cursed. Remember where the uh, Harrison Ford's standing and there's a whole bunch of the billboards and the neon signs have 
all the companies in the back, like Atari and everything like that. Yeah. All those companies are now defunct. Oh, really? The Atari is, is now not a gaming system. They produce you know, some gaming, but it's not as popular as it once was. Um, RCA, it's not around anymore. Uh, Record company, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Pan America Airways, it's not around anymore. <laughs> Coca-Cola is, is featured right there, right? Coca-Cola's still around, but almost risked bankruptcy because they started that you know new taste and new formula shit during that time. <laughs> so they, they but yeah every most companies on there are not around and people play wow Blade runner <laughs> wow i didn't know that honestly didn't know that but it was a it's really when you look at it now i mean we we've we've talked about um wrath of khan we've talked about et we mentioned briefly the thing we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute blade runner it's the summer of sci-fi um, and is. even our next movie, Jeff Bridges and Bruce Boxleitner in Disney's Tron. It happens inside the computer in a dimension man has never seen. Kevin Flynn, computer genius, is programmed into the world of the computer. prisoner in an electronic arena where love and escape do not compute tron an adventure inside the computer rated pg i have to admit tron is trippy as hell do you think <laughs> the one thing that really caught my eye about this film was always um the, the gladiatorial games that they play in it and everything yeah, particularly yeah. the light cycle uh, that always caught my eye when i watched it again yesterday and the light cycle scene is the worst sequence in the film. It's terrible. I mean, it's an exciting sequence, but it just looks bloody awful. It just looks like a cartoon mm-hmm. now. Um, it's, it's it's not it's it's not a movie for the people who are colorblind, are they? No, no. <laughs> it was. I didn't realize it was actually shot in black and white. Yeah. The, it, sorry, it the sequences within the uh, yes. computer system are shot yes. in, in black and white. It's it's an interesting idea. Flynn, who's this, um, who owns an arcade, he, he's a, a hacker who's uh, used to work for this video games company. He, he's devised these games, and then he thinks that they've they've been stolen. So he kind of um, he lashes out about that, and he's kind of broken down digitally and sucked into this, this this computer system where he has to kind of fight for his life in there by playing all these kind of uh, high-tech um, uh, games that he's mm-hmm. devised himself. And then you get this other guy who goes in there as well, um, a character called Bradley, um, who, who comes in. And it, to be honest, it's quite complex is the plot when you think about it they they overcomplicate everything and nowadays it would be a lot simpler because the way i see it nowadays is is a, is a, a computer program an antivirus software that's all it is really yeah you're right it's confusing to like the four-year-old me you know i'm like what the fuck is going on am i originally this movie is supposed to be a cartoon it was supposed to be a Disney cartoon and, yeah. and inspired by the game Pong of all fucking things. <laughs> uh, you know, at least it wasn't based on the E.T. video game. If you don't have the open mind to be involved into new technology and look at something uh, as as the special effects are in this uh, as, as something on a new horizon because the Academy snubbed it because they thought it was fucking cheating using computers to you know, enhance a movie instead of using practical effects. Yeah. 
I couldn't believe that when I read it. It's something I didn't know before, but uh, folks, the Academy, as Frank said, just disqualified it from even being submitted because it had, you know, computer-generated sequences in it, and they said that was cheating in a movie. I wonder at what point they kind of took a step back from that and then allowed CG or computer-aided sequences to be to be submitted for uh, for awards. I guess once it started getting more popular. So like yeah. Jurassic Park or something along those lines? Or Probably. The Abyss, maybe? The, the Abyss, I guess? Time and effort does take to get computer-generated material out there. It's not really a quick one, two, three. You know, it's not like cutting someone's head and cropping out to someone else's body. It's not like that. No, um, but I think no. the people saw this movie because of the effects. Yeah, it, it's. Uh, I don't think it's a particularly great movie. I think it's fine. Yeah, neither do I. I th- yeah. uh, uh, and, you know, and I didn't even... The sequel that came out a few years ago as well, I wasn't a huge fan of that. There are a couple of interesting things to pick up on, though, with it. One of them, which was really made me laugh when I read this today, and that is the outfits that they wear. Apparently, um, if you notice Jeff Bridges' outfit, he has like um, a toga over his outfit, which kind of comes down the front, and it almost looks like he's wearing... You, we call them bum bags. You call them fanny packs over there, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, over, over his crotch area, because he was too heavy in that department for a Disney film. So they had to keep his bollocks covered up for the movie. So he was well endowed? Yeah, they said they said that too much for the outfit, and so all the other guys are kind of. He was too gifted. All the other guys are happily wandering around with their, um, you know, with everything on show. But Bridges apparently was so well hung that they had to develop this kind of. Well, they call it a dance belt that they put over him, and when you look, he has got this kind of little apron over the crotch area. So why don't they just redesign the outfit rather than just wrapping up in a toga? <laughs> oh, gee. Well, good for you, Jeff. Good for you, yeah. sir. Good for yeah. him. <laughs> Dear me. Well, let's continue to talk about that. <laughs> but it is after after um, the likes of um, the black hole. Uh, this was just a, another in a long line of flops for for them. Uh, you know, the movie cost 17 million to make and it only took 50 uh, worldwide, which um, it took a long time to get there because they actually uh, had to re-release it the next year. Yeah. Yeah, 72% on Rotten Tomatoes and most of that I think is all because of, you know, people being at the time wowed by some of the visual effects work in it. But yeah, it wasn't a huge hit. We can call it cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, given it, given it, it's it's made back more than double what it cost, but you know it was a disaster for Disney in terms of the the uh, you know their overall portfolio of of movies that they'd released within that time period. Uh, but the Black Hole was a, wasn't a success. Watcher in the Woods wasn't a success, um, and it was the last live action movie that they made for ten years. Wow, yeah, I yeah. could see that. Yeah, you know, but yeah. Disney should have took the rights to our next movie, which I think is probably the greatest movie of all time. <laughs> and on July 23rd, uh, everyone would agree with me uh, because <laughs> it, 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 it had a budget of $3 million, which is questionable because you really had to dig to find that. Uh, but it made almost $17 million. Yeah. But yeah. unfortunately, it only has a 6% rating. And that's the... <laughs> 
Willie Ames and, and Scott Bale classic, Zapped. Barney Springboro, Scientific Brain. Peyton Nichols, Young Degenerate. Smile! Barney had the power, but Peyton had the plans. Together, they used the power. Until one day, Barney started seeing things differently. Wow! Scott Bale and Willie Ames in Zap, a movie that's out of this world and out of its mind. Rated R. It, this is a movie full of sex crimes, for crying out loud. <laughs> <laughs> From the, in the first five minutes, they're upskirting some poor girl at school. It's, uh, yeah, this is just, this is a weird film because it's a film that was, that, that, that was going in one direction. So, so Scott Bio plays this guy who's a, a bit of a kind of a cool nerd, I guess. Um, he's quite popular with the girls. Yeah, yeah, he's quite popular with the girls, but he's also heavily into his his studying and his and his Barney. science projects. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was do, doing all sorts of experiments with animals as to what their reaction would be when they were under the influence. So he's <laughs> putting dope and Jack Daniels into Animal mice. Cruelty. Yeah, yeah, and do, are they real when he's putting those mice I in the war? I hope that. <laughs> Um, and it, something explodes one day, and it gives him like telekinesis powers, whereas he can make things float and people float and and but bras he, come so, off. <laughs> well, this is the thing, right? The movie wasn't supposed to be like this. So there are a number of scenes in the film where he makes people's clothes come off. The first cut of the movie had none of this whatsoever, and it was just a kind of teen comedy that had uh, a, a telekinetic guy who would make things happen to his own advantage. They go to a, what do they call it, casino at one point. But after the success of Porky's, they decided to go away and reshoot a bunch of... Well, you carry on from here, Frank. It's your speciality. Yeah, you know, a lot of skirt lifting, a lot of bras popping off, um, a lot of breasts being exposed, you know, uh, <laughs> In front of Scatman Carruthers, you know, <laughs> who's just smiling at the end of all of this, you know, the hijinks going on, looking at all the nudity all over the place. And, uh, you know, and, and poor, you know, Heather Thomas, as beautiful as she was back then, never really got naked. And she uh, that, that was that's the odd thing about this. Film. It was unfortunate because they used a body double. And what did the producers do to get back at her? Heather Thomas's nudity was provided by a body double. Yeah, they really stuck it to her. You know, <laughs> so she was a bitch. She wouldn't do any nudity at all. And so they, in the post-production process, they shot some nude shots and then superimposed her head onto these nude shots. Uh, and also, they they did cutaways and and shots of a, what was supposed to be her breast, but weren't with someone else's just to kind of make sure they got the R rating on the movie. And then afterwards, she found out that they'd made her look like she'd gone nude in the film. Really good, kicked, though. They did it really uh, And close. kicked off because she she didn't have say uh, as to the uh, who the body double would be. Uh, and, yeah, they then kicked back and, and said in the in the end credits of the movie that she uh, that they weren't her tits, basically. <laughs> Do you think Scatman's uh, shining was uh, tingling during this whole <laughs> movie? Even he gets involved. He starts running after a girl by a skirt and all that kind of stuff. He's wiped over the head. And, 
Oh God, it's, it's uh, it is an awful film. It, it, it's, oh, it's I remember it. It's hilarious. I, re- <laughs> I remember it as a kid, and I remember thinking it was really fun. But when you watch it now and the current climate and all that kind of stuff, it's just like wow. You know, we'd never see anything like this now. I, I oh, come on. <laughs> but you know what? For what it is, that it's that '80s teenage, you know, as you say, perverts and it's teenage romp and hormones going through. You know, it's it was cool for that type of movie, and it made more than its budget back. You know, so yeah, I, I guess so. I guess we have to say, you know, it is it is cool during that. And it, the made, it, it spawned a sequel, zapped again. Ah, uh, fuck! We won't talk about that. <laughs> So it must have been good. But the, the week after, a, a movie came out which I absolutely loved as a, as a kid and growing up and still watch it now, and it's, it's uh, uh, Taylor Hackford's An Officer and a Gentleman. Zach Mayo had no business defying the odds, let alone beating them. You ready to quit now, Mayo? Got to program yourself. You'll make it. How did you slip into this program? You kicked me out of here, but I ain't quit. You quit. But first, you got to get past me. Understand? Don't you understand? I love you. Richard Gere, Deborah Winger, an officer and a gentleman, rated R. I can't stand this fucking movie. <laughs> really? <laughs> it borders on being a chick flick. I know what you're saying. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, and, and Richard Gere was like, what? They're like 16th fucking person to be picked for this role? Oh, he really? Wasn't, yeah. I mean, they wanted, you know, Christopher Reeve, Dennis Quaid, Kurt Russell, Kevin Costner. You know, they wanted a lot of people before him. I mean, Eric Roberts, <laughs> <laughs> John Travolta, Jeff Bridges. It, it's you know, the it, same list for everybody, uh, isn't it? It's- you know, John Belushi, you know. <laughs> You know what bothers me about this movie is that fucking song, the, the Joe Jennifer Crocker, Ward, the, Joe, oh, Joe Crocker. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, you know, yeah. up where Love, we lovely, belong. Yeah. Oh, I can't fucking stand that fucking <laughs> fucking song. <laughs> you know, it, 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 Deborah Winger, and she didn't get along with both her and uh, Richard Gere. Did not like each other at really? all. No, they, they hated each other. And, okay, you know it's kind of like that dirty dancing thing, right? With uh, Patrick Swayze and uh, oh, what's her name, Jennifer Grey. Yes, uh, yeah. They yeah. didn't get along either. They didn't get along each other back when they were making uh, what was it, Wolverines or whatever that movie was, uh, Red, Red Dawn. Oh, <laughs> Wolverines. That, that's the name of the the group, right? Wolverines. You know, they shoot it out. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Red Dawn. Uh, Red Dawn. Yeah, they didn't get along to. Uh, too well. I but you know who I do like in this in this movie though, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Yes, well he won the Oscar, didn't he? Yeah, he won Best Supporting, yeah. and they yeah, they yeah. they didn't want people to like him so much that the the actors they separated him, didn't hmm. they, to make sure that they didn't like yeah. him too much. Really method, yeah. right? Just saying, you know, yeah, stay over yeah. there, and then yeah. when you get back, yell at these fuckers. It is a good role. I don't, I really like the movie. I think it's great. You know, Richard Gere play, plays this kind of arrogant obnoxious kid who's kind of lived with his dad out in um I could care um, yeah <laughs> and um he's he's just a, a piece of shit and and he joins the navy him and um david keith uh, they, they, they end up on a 13 week intensive course 
and they it just follows them and their ups and downs through um, through fighter pilot school. Yeah. Those training sequences are great, and you got Lisa Eilbacker in there from Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, you've also got uh, Robert Legere as well, mm-hmm. plays his dad. Um, yeah, it's 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 a good film, and the Academy liked it, and so do I. So a seven point five million budget, hundred and twenty nine point seven million box office. You can't say better than that. Seventy nine percent on Rotten Tomatoes as well. So huge success on July twenty eighth of nineteen eighty two. And probably one of the taglines that everyone uses is what, uh, because I got nowhere to go. <laughs> and, and when I saw this movie for the first time, I said, I got somewhere I got to go. And I fucking left. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus Christ. And then, then he's lifting her out. And that song comes up, you know, she put, puts the hat on herself. I'm just like, God damn. You know, it's just like. It's, isn't it? It's the same fucking ending as Pretty Woman, really, isn't it? It is. What, it is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, but Julia Roberts and, and Richard Greer actually got along back then, you know, in that movie. Uh, yeah. But yeah, yeah, but I think Louis Gossett Jr. saves this movie for me. If it was anyone else, uh, it, it probably would have. Uh, it's 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 it is a, it is kind of a chick flick, um, you know, dealing with you know that 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 guy who you don't think a woman can crack his hard rough exterior, mm. uh, but it took his ass to get kicked, plus uh, yeah. falling in love with a. With a, what is it? She's she's an iron worker or something like that. What, what is she? Yeah, they work in a mill, don't they, or something? A, a seamstress, or, is it, or something? I don't know. Whatever she's doing, she <laughs> sat at a sewing machine anyway. Sat at a sewing machine, you know, making shit. Yeah. So, <laughs> but fine. Before we get to our final movie to close out the summer of 1982, Darren, let's talk about four of our honorable mentions that we put on our list. May 21. I don't know what to say about this. Uh, Annie with um, Albert Finney with um, playing Daddy Warbucks. A two-year production, nearly 2,000 people on that production. 50 million they spent on this movie, and it made 57 million. It's 57% on Rotten Tomatoes as well. A really cruel um time for this film in the in the summer of 1982 yeah it's i don't know how they made how they spent so much money on a film with a bunch of singing orphans i've no idea i like uh, it. you I like do it. i do like it you know i i, that's I like wor- it. that's worse than me liking fucking officer and a gentleman i beg to differ god damn it uh, uh, <sighs> you know it's just, yeah but it has a happy ending it doesn't it has music that you can actually sing to you know it doesn't have joe fucking grocker on it uh, Joe, it, <laughs> Joe Cocker. Oh, Joe. whatever. Crockpot. Joe Cocker. He is a cock. I think he's dead, isn't he? Joe Cocker dead? Uh, yeah, I think he is now. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's yeah. dead to me. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? It's a hard knock life. Uh, you know, a young Tim Curry, you know, dancing away with Cara Bonnet. What is there not to like? Poonjab? The character name is Poonjab. And, and uh, another character name is Asp, you know, and and at least at least the one girl in here uh, who plays uh, Daddy Warbucks' assistant, she's gorgeous. Um, she's a professional dancer. I, I, I apologize if I forgot her name, Anna something. Um, but she's she comes from a long line of doing Broadway stints. Um, at least in this movie, it doesn't have your favorite sex scene like in Wolfen, you know, with Albert <laughs> Finney getting it on. Um, no, but. I liked Annie, uh, sue me, but 
I think you and I both like our next honorable mention, though, more than Annie. Uh, just, I just want to make sure that you don't want to do a whole episode on Annie, that's all, before. Oh, no, that's fine. It's fine. Okay, okay, let's go on. Uh, so, June 25th, we mentioned it earlier, The Thing came out, John Carpenter's um, sci-fi classic, one of the probably, uh, or horror classic, one of the best horror films of all time. Cruel summer for this movie, really cruel really kind of gave Carpenter the the, the, the needle. 85% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, 15 million budget, 19 million at the box office. Um, a really tough time for this film. As we said earlier, came out the same day as uh, Blade Runner, which also didn't fare too well. But it was probably, you know, these movies were just probably one too many sci-fis uh, in, in 1982. Up against uh, E.T.? Up against E.T., Wrath of Khan. Yeah, it was just it was just overloaded with sci-fis was this particular year. And then on August 13th, we had Friday the 13th Part 3, which for 7% on Rotten Tomatoes, a budget of 2.3 million, made 36.6 million at the US box office, uh, is a lot of um, Friday the 13th fans' favourite entry my, in the franchise, I yep, guess. Included. Is it your favourite? Yeah. yeah, it's my favourite. I think the best-looking Jason uh, out of all of them, including Sackhead, is him yeah. running with that mask on and how big Brooker is. is just real intense. Yeah. And then, you know, the, the deleted scene where what the ending was supposed to be like would have been awesome to see. What was that? Chris was supposed to be decapitated. The, the final girl? Yeah. She heard Rick's voice calling her name. Okay. She goes, she, then she runs, sees Jason. Jason grabs her by the hair, pulls her up, and decapitates her. Wow. Um, I think that would have been <laughs> yeah. awesome, awesome yeah. ending. Yeah. That's you interesting. Know, but, I never knew that. I never knew. I didn't mind the film, actually. I didn't. As as, yeah. as third entry, I think I think the only thing that kind of, you know, uh, it looks awkward about it now is this, those kind of... 3D effects. If you're not watching it in 3D, it just looks pretty terrible. There's some of those, but I do agree it is kind of iconic because it's the first time we ever see the the hockey mask, uh, and also Richard Brooker was a, just a monster of a guy. And and mm-hmm. and, I th- and people have said this before. You know when he fires that spear into that guy's head and uh, see the string shirt. and everything. Yeah, 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 yeah. The woman's the, eye. Yeah, it, that's it. And then he just kind of. He just sort of chucks the spear gun on the floor and slowly turns around and walks away like it's not Next. air in the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's creepy. And then finally on August 20, um, another sword and sandals thing, probably some sort of trying to be some sort of ripoff of, of, um, of He-Man. Um, although was He-Man out around then? I don't know. But certainly a kind of Conan or um, sword and sorcerer type movie, uh, The Beastmaster. Mark Singer and his ferrets, uh, not Come very on, good. His panther too. Is <laughs> but well, his panther or whatever. Um, the, the, uh, Rotten Tomatoes score of fifty percent, pretty cruel. It was an eight million budget uh, and fourteen million at the box office. Uh, not too good for the Beastmaster. I wasn't a fan, to be honest. Um, it was. T- I it was more Mrs. Of a- Roberts topless. That was my favorite part. In in, 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 in the lake in the Beastmaster. In the uh, really was she? Yeah, I thought. Yeah, was, okay. Was that Tanya Roberts? Yeah. Well, you can tell I didn't watch this before this show, so <laughs> I have seen it years ago. I, I would have remembered that. I have seen it as a kid. I, I do remember seeing it as a kid, but maybe uh, go back I, for I that one part. 
I uh, yeah, I um, I I wasn't too taken by it all those years ago. I think I was more a sword and a sorcerer fan. But anyway, our final film after the atrocity that was zapped, uh, kind of demonstrating everything that's bad about teenage sex comedies. There was one film that came out on August the 13th, which kind of was the opposite to that, which was everything that was good about teenage sex comedies. That was Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Is this necessary? That was my skull. I'm so wasted. Is this proper? What is it that gets inside your heads? <laughs> is this educational? Awesome. No, but it sure is fun. Hey, bud, <laughs> let's party. See Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where only the rules get busted. Rated R. Some oh. Oscar winners in this movie, aren't there? There's a lot of talent in this film. You've Sean Penn, Jennifer Jason Lee, George Reinhold, Phoebe Cates... Brian Backer, Eric Stoltz, Forrest Whitaker, Ray Walston, Amanda Wiss from American uh, from A Nightmare on Elm Street. Nicholas Cage pops up in there. Uh, underage. Didn't he want the main part or something? He, was he-, he did, but you know what? People were pissed at him because all he started talking about was his famous uncle. Ah, uh, yeah, because he's credited as Nicholas Coppler, isn't he? Correct. Yep. Yeah. And he's like, oh, you know, my uncle, you know, Godfather. And everyone's like, Jesus fucking Christ, this guy's fucking, he's an asshole. Written by uh, Cameron Crowe, right? Uh, directed by Amy Heckerling, who did um, yeah. did uh, Clueless and um, a couple of films Frank's really fond of. Look Who's Talking Now. I love that. She- I love Look Who's Talking. <laughs> I like those Look Who's Talking. <laughs> Dear me, I'll stick with Officer No Gentleman. But yeah, there's not much, there isn't really much of a narrative throughout this film. It's kind of a, a, a sort of, just a, a series of sketches, really, isn't it, throughout? I would say it's, also an end of innocence, right? Yeah. A girl getting hard up and getting... Uh, she becomes, you know, uh, she loses her virginity to uh, an older guy. She's under actually in her um, underage Jennifer Jason Lee and finds out she becomes addicted to sex now after, you know, one romp and then... Around the back of some bins, wasn't it, somewhere? <laughs> some, like, <laughs> Behind some fucking garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it was actually like a parking lot or some shit you know it was horrible i don't, I don't know. know where it was <laughs> you know that uh you know if this movie was gonna be rated x i could see why it, it, it had you know sean penn you know like you said being the stoner guy uh, yeah he's i mean you can see where keanu reeves and um Alex Winter got their inspiration for Bill and Ted straight mm-hmm. off the bat there. It's it's incredible how much they sound like him in this film. Called Mr. Hand a dick for ruining his pizza. <laughs> you did. <dick. Yeah. laughs> <laughs> but we, we have to talk about our favorite part, which is Phoebe Cates coming out of the pool. <laughs> <laughs> that That's a con, is that? Because... The director, she didn't really want to do it, did she? And the director no. said, look, you're only going to be on screen. I mean, remember, VHS was, at that time, was either in its r- real infancy or barely available anywhere. And th- she said to her, look, it's going to be two seconds and it'll be gone. No one's even going to bat an eyelid. But what does What's she the do? internet? She, yeah, exactly. What does she do? She She does the scene and those two seconds that get filmed... The director slows it down, so she's on Dream screen. Dream sequence. <laughs> so she's on screen topless for about 10 seconds or even more. Um, but there was a kind of running joke, wasn't there, among all the bloody uh, video rental stores in the US that 
anybody that rented um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, whenever it got to that sequence, everything was kind of flickering and shaking, and the and the tracking was off all the time. They would rewind so many, it. <laughs> yeah, so many guys had watched that, or paused it on that sequence, or watched it over and over again back in the eighties. That all the VHSs in the US were knackered. So you know, it, it is a classic film, though. Is that one part iconic, though? It is. is it iconic it is. for her? Uh, I guess so. I think it probably put her on the map, didn't it? I mean, it, yeah. you know, if, whether you can say that's right or wrong, I don't know. But she, she's, she kind of did okay after it in the 80s. You know, She married an Oscar winner. Who did she marry? Kevin Klein. She did? Wow. Yeah, you're right. Bloody hell. Um, <laughs> caught, his, caught his eye. <laughs> but yeah, Jennifer Jason Lee was one of her earliest roles, wasn't it? And and watching watching this the other day, I never realized who her dad was. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunate what happened to him because her dad is Victor Morrow. Yeah, the guy from the Twilight Zone who well, just absolutely, you know, he was killed on set in that horrible accident with the two kids. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'll we'll probably divulge into that when we get to Twilight yeah, Zone. But yeah. I think a young girl going through that, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's a horrible, uh, it must've been around this time because Twilight Zone came out in June 83. Yeah. So, uh, you know, a year I guess later. they were, I guess they were filming. So around the time this was being released, she must've gone through that, that whole thing with her dad. Wow. But there's no, there's actually no musical score for this movie. It's all bands. Yeah. Yeah, and it's kind of like one of those, you know, milestone teen comedies that that you get every decade or so. Do you know what I mean? It, it's yep. um, kind of like the American Pie of uh, exactly, this yeah. But th- I think this uh, is better. Yeah, it is. I mean, because it, 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 you know, the characters are really good, and that's t- a testament to all that you know the, the the cast that they have here. And but also, it deals with um, some themes that we not to that point have not really been dealt with um, before things like abortion and mm-hmm. drug use within schools things like that um, it's it's no it was quite quite groundbreaking I guess but ultimately Judge Reinhold became you know the big brother that Jennifer Jason Lee had you know because she he drove her to the uh, abortion clinic he did you know and picked yeah. her up it was quite and a everything touching and, sequence yeah. yeah 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 but you know most people would have gone after that guy who knocked her up and beat the living shit out of them 77 percent on rotten tomatoes 4.5 million budget and 27.1 million at the box office fast times at ridgemont how i was i'd say a, a you know respectable hit yeah you know one of one of the few probably actual teen summer comedy movies hmm. in definition of what it yeah and a, and a lot smarter than the likes of screwballs and porkies and people <laughs> fucking pies <laughs> yeah <laughs> Zapped. <laughs> oh, I like zapped. <laughs> no, it's a good movie. It's a good movie, and that kind of wraps up this episode, really. But you know, we've got more coming. Nineteen eighty-three is going to be fun. There's a lot of big titles in that uh, in that particular year. So we we have things like Return of the Jedi, um, The Man with Two Brains, Psycho Two, War Games, Trading Places, Octopussy, Superman Three. Twilight Zone, which Frank just mentioned there, you know, there's a lot to talk about with that film. Uh, Staying Alive, Jaws 3D, Mr. Mum, National Lampoon's Vacation, Risky Business, and Cujo. So, a huge year in uh, in 1983. But, you know, 1982, nearly over 
if you think about it, an over a two billion summer at the yeah, box office. Almost, almost, a, almost a two billion summer, yeah. But on that note, we'll see everybody for 1983. As always, stick to the roads. And the best of luck. Mm-hmm.